to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Just because God has given us certain promises and given us a real confidence that, you know, certain things are going to take place, it doesn't mean that we just sort of lay back and do nothing. We need to be proactive and we need to continue to persevere in prayer to bring those things to fruition. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 25, verse 12, through chapter 26, verse 35, in a message titled, Rehoboth. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Well, as we come to verse 12, verses 12 and 18 are a record of the genealogy of Ishmael. Ishmael, of course, was the son of Abraham and Hagar. You remember this was Abraham's attempt to help God fulfill his promise. And Ishmael was blessed because he was a descendant of Abraham, but you remember God said his covenant was with Isaac. And so this is pretty much where the story of Ishmael comes to an end because he is not relevant to the continuation of the story because, of course, the story is ultimately about those who are in the the messianic line. So again, verses 12 through 18 record for us a bit about Ishmael, his genealogy, and then about uh, his death as well. So picking up in verse 19, we come back now to Isaac. Isaac, who is the heir of the promise. So this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, Pausing just for a moment, remember the promise that God had given to Abraham, that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the heavens. And Abraham, of course, has uh, only Isaac. And then Isaac, now, after 20 years of marriage with Rebekah, Rebecca is unable to conceive. And, you know, the thing that I find interesting here is that even though God had given that promise, and in one sense, it seems that they could have just sort of, you know, laid back and just said, well, you know, the Lord gave the promise and one of these days he's going to fulfill it. We'll just wait for that to happen 
They didn't do that. They sought the Lord. Isaac sought the Lord. And I think in that there's just, you know, something for us as well. Just because God has given us certain promises and given us a real confidence that, you know, certain things are going to take place, it doesn't mean that we just sort of lay back and do nothing. Uh, We need to be proactive and we need to continue to uh, persevere in prayer uh, to bring those things to fruition. And so we see that with Isaac. He's pleading with the Lord for Rebekah, and so she conceives. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So Rebecca is pregnant with twins, and obviously a difficult pregnancy. And so the Lord reveals to her something about the nature of these two children within her womb. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name the hairy one. Esau, meaning the hairy one. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, which means heel catcher. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So these two sons now. Now, remember, this is a an entirely different situation than was the situation with Abraham. Abraham had the two sons, but only one of them was through Sarah, and only one of them was the promised seed. But now here with Isaac, he has two sons by Rebekah, and yet only one of them will receive that, that blessing, that messianic blessing. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, this is a strange translation here regarding Jacob, that he was a mild man. It gives the wrong impression, I think. And and sometimes there's even been a contrast between, you know, Esau and Jacob as though one were sort of a man's man and the other was, you know, a bit of a mama's boy. But that's really not at all what the word implies. And 
it is really an unfortunate translation, this word mild or plain, because the word really means more literally perfect or mature. It's the exact same word that we find in Job chapter 1, verse 8, where God is speaking of Job as being a perfect man, the same Hebrew word. And so the picture here, the contrast really between Esau and Jacob is really the contrast between a mature, godly, spiritual-minded man, that's Jacob, and an immature, godless, irresponsible type of a person. That's the contrast between these two men. Esau is essentially a man who has no regard for the things of the spirit. No regard. He's godless in that sense. He just simply is not interested in spiritual things. He's interested in the world. He's interested in the outdoors. He's interested in being out in in the fields and hunting. He has no uh, sense of responsibility. He's not at all taking life seriously. Where Jacob, on the other hand, he's a, a mature man in the sense that he understands that the spiritual element is the most important element of life. And he's a responsible man. He's dwelling in tents. He's taking care of business. He's taking care of family. He's taking care of his father's flocks and those things while Esau is out just, you know, having a good time. He's too busy having fun to get himself involved in the more important matters of the family and so forth. So this is the distinction that's really being drawn here. But notice verse 28, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, once again, we're going to see, sadly, with Isaac, we're going to see that human side really show itself. Just as we saw with Abraham, you remember as we looked at his life, you know, many wonderful aspects of of Abraham's character and his faith and his commitment. But then we would see occasionally those weak areas. And, And so with Isaac as well. And Isaac, even though he's... God's man, even though he's uh, the one through whom the, the promise is going to be carried on, he still has that, that element of, of the flesh. And he's drawn more to Esau, not because Esau was spiritual, but really just quite the opposite. He was drawn to the fact that Esau was a hunter, that Esau could provide him with this excellent food, as he would go out hunting. And so with Isaac, we see that there was a side of him where he wasn't as spiritual as he probably should have been. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Rebecca, remember, Rebecca gets this promise from God. The older shall serve the younger. And so she's putting her hopes in the the promises. She's putting her hopes in the things of the spirit. And she senses with Jacob that he is a spiritually minded man. Now, Jacob cooked a stew. 
And Esau came in from the field and was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary. It's interesting. I was looking in a couple of um, my Hebrew sources and what Esau actually said literally was let me gulp down all of that stew that you've made. <laughs> you know, so we're talking about a guy who's just, you know, he's just really given over to his fleshly appetites. He's been out hunting all day and he's been out in the field and now he comes in and he just says, let me gulp the whole thing down. That's literally what he said. So, that, that's, so therefore, his name is called Edom. Edom means red. He's asking for that red uh, stew. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever based upon this that Rebekah had communicated at least to Jacob and no doubt to Isaac as well. And perhaps even to Esau, uh, Rebecca had communicated that God had spoken to her. The older Esau would serve the younger, Jacob. Now, of course, the one with the birthright is the one who's going to inherit the authority over the family. So what Jacob is doing, and now this is where we see Jacob's problem. Jacob's He's a spiritual man. He's mindful of the things of the spirit where Esau disregards them. But Jacob's problem is he's impatient. And somewhat like Abraham with Hagar, he feels that he's got to help God out. He's got to manipulate the situation in order to bring to pass what God had declared, that the older would serve the younger. That's really what he's after when he asked for the birthright. But, you know, it's interesting that the final word is not that Jacob supplanted Esau, but the final word is that Esau despised his birthright. You see, God doesn't really even condemn Jacob for this, although we would have to say in looking at the bigger picture, it wasn't the right way to go about it. It was one of those things where you have a situation where Jacob's heart is right in as much as he's spiritual and he wants the spiritual blessing, but his method of going about it, that's where he's making his mistake. Where Esau, on the other hand, He couldn't care less about the birthright. He has no interest whatsoever. When we come to the New Testament and to the epistle to the Hebrews, Esau is referred to as a profane person. Now, when we think of the word profane, we usually think of somebody who's vulgar or 
you know, extremely wicked or something like that. But, but the word in the Bible, profane, doesn't really mean that. The word profane means simply that he was common or he was disinterested in spiritual blessing. So this is the kind of person that Esau really was. He was a person who wasn't a bad person in the, in the, the sense of being an extremely wicked person. He was just a person who didn't really have any time or interest in the things of the Spirit. You know, there are a lot of people in the world like that today. They're not necessarily overtly wicked. As a matter of fact, they might even look down upon extremely wicked people. They might condemn certain behaviors and lifestyles, but they just don't see any need for God or anything spiritual in their lives. They're just, they're common, they're profane. Esau despised his birthright. It didn't mean anything to him. So now this seems to have happened when these boys were relatively young, probably in their teenage years. But we're going to see how this whole thing develops as we go on further in the story, and we'll pick that up when we come to chapter 27. But now we go back to Isaac. So there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Now, it was about 100 years earlier that Abraham went to Abimelech in the same area. And it seems, and most scholars agree, that Abimelech was not a personal name, but a title, probably the title of the chief over the Philistines at that time. So this would not be the same person, but probably the son of the Abimelech that Abraham dealt with. And so we read, then the Lord appeared to him. Isaac is going in the direction of the south. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. So here the Lord reiterates to Isaac the promise that he had made to Abraham. So Isaac is now officially the recipient of the promise, and it's through Isaac that the promise is going to be carried on. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebecca, because she is beautiful to behold. Now, does this sound familiar to you? (laughs) I mean, this is, 
This is absolutely astounding, really, because we see Isaac repeating the exact same mistake that Abraham had made. But Abraham had done this before Isaac was ever born. But no doubt it was one of those things that was probably talked about around the house. Probably Sarah would remind Abraham on occasion. (laughs) And Isaac, of course, would have overheard that. And so here he's doing a, a similar thing. Now with Abraham, remember, Abraham had a little bit of a basis for saying that because Sarah was actually his half-sister. But now with Isaac, he has no basis for that whatsoever. He has no other relationship to Rebecca than the fact that she is his wife. But he's afraid, so he says, she is my sister. Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, remember back a hundred years ago when this similar incident occurred, God had actually cursed the people because of Sarah being there. So evidently this is in the mind of Abimelech. He remembers the story. He, he evidently heard the story as well himself. So he's saying, what are you doing to us? You could, you could have brought a judgment upon us. So Isaac then, there in that region, he sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. Now, this, the the time frame for all of this, we know that Isaac was married when he was 40. He had Esau and Jacob when he was 60. And now we're, at at the end of the story here, we're going to, be told about Esau marrying at the age of 40. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. One of my favorite authors is a man named Mark Sayers, and he's written a fantastic book called A Non-Anxious Presence. And in the book, Mark talks about 
us living in a gray zone. And what he means by a gray zone is that we're living in a time between two eras. One era is passing, but the other era is not completely upon us yet. And that leads to social, cultural, and sometimes even personal disorientation. And so this book is a fantastic book that will help us keep our bearings during this time by keeping our focus on Jesus and what God is doing in the world despite what is going on around us. So a non-anxious presence is my recommendation. I know that you will be blessed by it. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers. You can order the book, A Non-Anxious Presence, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, A Non-Anxious Presence by Mark Sayers, to give you a clear picture of how personal renewal happens after a crisis. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.